Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 27 of Swimming Upstream. After a couple weeks off, Daniel DeVivo and I are back with you. What we are calling our monthly recap for July. And boy, we have a bit to get to here in this hour, maybe a little bit more. We're going to attempt to cover it all for you guys, though. The draft, the trade deadline, and of course, bringing you our uh, our guys, our standout performers at each level, including a new level, the Florida Complex League, which just started up for the, this Marlin system. And of course, we're going to try to take your questions as well. But before we get to all of that, I, of course, need to welcome in my confidant on the show, Mr. Daniel DeVivo. Daniel, it's been a bit since we last recorded, we last spoke even, but I'm happy to talk Marlins baseball with you again, man, and bring it to our audience. So what's up, man, and how was July? Hey, brother. I missed you, man. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I miss these. Um, a, lot of, a lot of work stuff obviously. Yes. Uh, but I'm just happy, happy to be here again, um, recording and just having our conversations on, on, on our, what really drives us, um, which is Marlins prospects. We both love it and yeah, ready, ready to get into this. A lot to talk about, huh? Yeah, definitely. And that's why we don't want to waste any time guys. We're, we're going to get right into it here. We got a lot to fit in. Uh, the first thing we want to get to today, uh, it's going to be the MLB draft. Obviously happened uh, a little earlier in, July, earlier in July over the uh, the All-Star break there, new format. It was really cool. I was It was awesome to see, like, the attention that that got because usually, you know, it's, it's happening during the season. You know, the entire baseball world isn't paying attention. But in this one, man, it's back to the expanded draft after that, that short draft they had last year, and it got a lot of attention, which was really cool to see. Uh, but, yeah, um, I want to get to this with you, Daniel, though. Um, just, I would say another masterpiece as it turns out by DJ Spalick, you know, maybe wasn't always thought to be that way with how it, you know, it kind of came down to it with the money there with that $10 million budget that the Marlins had, you know, can they get everybody? Uh, there was a little bit of worry that they could get it done, you know, with, with how much they were spending before they got the first round picked Watson on paper, but man, it looks like DJ and company, they orchestrated this perfectly. So, um, just an overall impression that you got of this draft, Daniel, I think, as I said, it's another masterpiece. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, with every pick, uh, I was pretty much celebrating. Um, you know, I, I was sure Khalil was going to go like to one of the 20s or something. Uh, probably had a deal with the Dodgers or something like that, like typical thing. And then when they called his name, that was just amazing. And then to see Mac um, called again, young catcher, loved it. Um, and then just uh, – really really solid guy and, and Morris said so it just you know they kept coming and kept coming and then really surprised with uh the McCants pick I was like okay at this point you got Mac and you got um Khalil and I, I'm assuming you'll get now like seven middle schoolers right <laughs> so you can sign them um so right as, as everything kept going my thoughts were this is, you know, this looks bleak. And if they don't end up signing Khalil, it's 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 pretty bad. It's a pretty bad look. But if they do sign him, it's a masterpiece of, of a draft. And and they did it, man. They they had the courage to really get their guys. Like everybody's kind of low on McCants because they hadn't heard of, heard of him or about him. But if they liked him enough to risk, because at that point they knew they were risking. Uh, the Khalil signing because they had a deal with uh, most, most of these guys. So if they liked him enough to risk Khalil, that makes me high on him. Um, so I really want to see what he can do. So in general, 
yeah, I mean, I really loved um, these, um, you know, these, these, this draft. We signed 20 of the, of the 21. Um, I, th- I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's high school heavy early, and then they went, they went collegiate with experience late, um, you know, to save the money, obviously, to get these, these high schoolers on paper. And with McCants, man, that's, that's a Florida native. He's, he's from Pensacola, um, who I know you're, you're making good friends with there with the Blue Wahoos there, Daniel. So that, that's awesome. Uh, so he's from My that area. Yeah, let's go. He's from <laughs> Pensacola. Um, you know, so Florida native. Um, and, and man, like, like Daniel said, I think this, this guy, just to mention him since Daniel talked about him really quick, you know, it's another Nassim Nunez type of player, maybe a little bit bigger than Nassim. You know, I think he profiles best as like a center field type of piece. Um, you know, not a ton of power, which is, which is definitely the weakness for McCants. But man, um, if the, he has the bat the ball skills already that are being spoken of, and the ability to hit for average, uh, maybe the Marlins can do some work with him and build his frame and build some power into him. So yeah, like Daniel definitely said, more power. Yeah, definitely more power than Nassim though, because I mean yeah. Nassim, if it's twenty eighty, Nassim has to be like a twenty five. Yeah, <laughs> power like there's like nothing there um, yeah. in terms of power. With this guy, you see more body and you see Calibre. more mm-hmm. at least. Yeah, he's not going to hit thirty home runs. No, but he's <laughs> not going to hit you know like four doubles in the whole right. season you know so so when it, he is like main main one of his main tools is, is, is speed and yeah. uh solid uh hit tool but power you know at least solid gap power i i, I project which yeah. is not the case now, like we said we'll, we'll see what they can do with him this guy's got a long way to go he's a high school kid as his body matures maybe come into a little bit more power Gain some more waft to his swing i do see a lot of line drive in his swing but if he can come by a little more power gain some waft in the swing then just adds another weapon and he already has great about the ball. So um, yeah, that's, that's a pick that was surprising to me. I know it wasn't really the most popular pick in the draft, but um, man, I, I wouldn't bet against this Marlins, you know, franchise. If, if they're going to bet on a high schooler, then I believe him. So uh, we'll see what he does. Um, he should be starting his, his major league career. I probably would say in the FCL here pretty shortly. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but we could spend a whole show on this, Daniel, on, on each of these picks, but I, I, we really don't have time to do it. Uh, I think that that's one one key thing that I will mention is they changed a little bit in their strategy. Like you can see it, they didn't go power and athleticism first and to teach hit tool, which was kind of the issue right now with our system. They went hit tool first. Yeah. I would say Khalil, many people say he's hit tool first, but he has obviously that power there. Um, uh, Mac, same thing, really powerful, but again, hit tool, it's there. Um, Morissette is 100% nope. hit first. McCants is hit first. Um, so Allen, they Allen's went with that. Hit first Allen is a, exactly. Yep. So, so they did change that strategy. Definitely. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, you know, we, we, we've known this Marlin system for a little while now, and there's, there's quite a lot, long time now between me and Daniel. And we know that there's question marks and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will agree with, with how this, 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 um, this hitting development team is able to develop the hit tool. And I think they got a lot of that out of the way quickly, as Daniel said, by drafting these hit first guys, maybe power second for a lot of them, um, including a lot of these top five, top 10 guys. So yeah, definitely agree. Um, we could go on and on and on about the draft, Daniel. I, I know you could as well, uh, but I think that's probably um, another show uh, or as these guys develop, I'm sure we'll get into them more. But um, we did want to uh, answer a question from your brother, actually, uh, Marcelo, 
who wanted to know um, outside of the top five picks that the Marlins made in this draft, he wanted to know who maybe were highest on from the uh, bottom 15, or I should say 16 picks. Well, 15 out of the guys that they signed picks uh, in this draft. So I'll let you go first, Daniel, uh, one or two guys that you were most excited about um, out of the draft past round five. Um, there were definitely several interesting ones. I liked uh, Zubia. Zubia is interesting. Uh, Longhorn. Um, I also like Burgeon, who came from the same high school as, as these guys, as uh, uh, Flaherty and um, and uh, who else? Who was it? Jolito, Jolito, and Max yeah. Reed. Yeah. Um, big ground ball guy. But the guy I'll choose here is is the catcher, seventh round, um, Sam Prater. Like I'm not extremely high on him, but I thought it was a cool pick. Um, again, just offensive minded catcher, 20 home runs. This is SEC. This isn't just some random conference. 20 home runs between the shortened 2020 season and the 2021 season. Um, that's 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 really good. Um, so so yeah, I mean I, I'll choose him. Yeah, I believe it was Jake Walters who played with him in college who gave him a vote of confidence. I, I saw a couple mixed reports um, out out on his defense, you know, going into the draft that a lot of people were really really high, and then a couple people were kind of low because he had Tommy John on the arm, I believe, um, and you know that that maybe kind of set him back and he was kind of trying to build that back during 2020. But then of course the season gets canceled, but man, a lot of reports that are out say that he's a great framer. Um, and then if he builds the arm strength back, he's going to be a, a good defensive catcher as Daniel mentioned. And, and then Jake gives him the vote of confidence. So how can you argue against that? So yeah, uh, Prater was a good one for sure. Um, I had a couple and I went arm. Uh, Daniel went with the, uh, the catcher. I go with the pitchers. I had Pat Monteverde who um, recently, I believe was assigned to the FCL. Another guy, a TJ guy, he missed all of 2019 with Tommy John. Of course, he had 2020 wiped out, as Sam did, uh, you know, with COVID. But he worked hard the whole time, uh, you know, getting back. Uh, from what we heard, he's ramped his velo up a little bit from down in, like, 93 range up to 95. He's also adding in a slider. Um, solid numbers in one Division One season. Uh, just an extremely hardworking dude and a good story of perseverance. I will say a cool uh, stat on him. Born one month and one day before the Marlins won their first World Series in 1997. So there's a cool stat that you can kind of attribute to his upcoming Marlins career. <laughs> um, I think he has a back-end starter ceiling. It's kind of a middle relief floor. But I like this pick as a guy who could really surprise. You know, was really, really highly recruited when it came to the transfer portal. He was in the transfer portal, you know, going into 2020. And he had like 45 offers. <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's a guy that was that a lot of teams and a lot of programs saw something in. And of course, obviously the Marlins see something in him as well. Of course, you have to see how it translates, you know, obviously to the big league level and I'll have to make it translate, I think fairly quickly, but in this pitching development system already showing a lot of good indicators, he's got like four pitches command looks okay. You know, I, I think this is a guy, it's definitely possible that matter Verity sticks as a starter, but if not, he definitely has a middle relief for it. So I like him. And then I'll give you one more um, Jake Schrand just because I've heard so much on this guy coming out of Wright State. I talked to a lot of people there, including Alex Sogard, who's their head coach, and uh, Nate Metzger, who's one of their assistant coaches. This dude's up to 97. Uh, he, I think he needs to polish off his secondaries, but from what I hear of the work ethic, and I'll give you some quotes here. I wrote this in my article on the website, but I'll give you some quotes from that coaching staff. This is from Alex Sogard. He's the hardest worker I've ever seen. He's an animal. I personally think he's a back-end guy. 
He would run it up to 95, 97 when closing games. And in the first inning of starts, he would settle into 92, 95. Says he has some jump on his fastball and his curveball is 12-6. He also learned a split change this year, which was effective as the year went on. He's got a closer bulldog mindset. And then it's corroborated by Metzger. He's the definition of a bulldog. He competes and really works. One of the hardest workers I've ever coached. So you hear stuff like that. You hear about the work ethic, you know, the stuff up to 97. Huge, man. I definitely think that this guy could compete and pretty quickly as a back end to maybe even closer piece if he has that split change and he's building on that, you know, here as his, as his minor league career gets started. So I like those two arms for sure out of the draft. Yeah, agreed. All right. So we're going to go on. That's, that's what we have on the drafts. Again, we could, we could go into more. Uh, I, if you guys are interested, I do have a full length piece on each pick up on the website posted a little while ago. So if you want more on draft picks, go check it out. Um, you know, you can get a little bit on everybody, but we'll go on here on the episode. Uh, we'll go to the next thing that happened here in July, Daniel um, trade deadline. Obviously this was really big. Um, there's a lot of attention on Twitter, Twitter spaces, you know, we all had Craig Mish on alert. We all had Jeff Passan on alert. I still do, as a matter of fact. But yeah, everybody was was following this because they really thought that this was going to be a time where the Marlins made some moves. And, and they do make some moves. Um, we're not going to say that they didn't. Um, maybe it's a little anticlimactic as a whole, uh, you know, for, from everything that happened and how it started. Obviously, they bring back the big piece in Luzardo. And then the rest of the deadline, it's, it's, it's you know, more, you know, fringe major league players. Um, they didn't mm-hmm. really make the big deal for a center fielder. So I guess a little anticlimactic from a fan standpoint, but I love the pieces they brought back, man. We're going to get into those, Daniel, but I just want to get your thoughts again overall here on how the Marlins did this trade deadline. Maybe if you want to grade it, go ahead. It was fine. Uh, I love the Zardo. Uh, with pitchers, I have so much trust in our scouting, our pitching scouting and our pitching development that I'll trust anybody those guys bring in. Um, so I have 100% trust that they will make Lozardo into a friggin' all-star. So that was amazing. And to just, you know, two months of Starling Marte, it's, it's perfect. The other ones, uh, I'll, I'll still obviously need to see, um, just keep monitoring them with hitting. It is not the same as with pitching, but I do like Dela Cruz, um, um, Jackson, Looks pretty interesting. I haven't seen uh, Henry yet. Um, I don't know if I'm missing someone important there, but I mean, those are pretty much the pieces. Uh, De La Cruz, or is it's De La Cruz, right? Yeah. Yeah, DLC. Yep. Yeah, De-, De La Cruz looks pretty solid, man. The all tools, except probably hit, seemed average. Um, nice arm, I would I would say. Uh, good fielding. So I would say I'm I'm, I'm cautiously excited about him um but he looks like a fourth outfielder right now unless he can really show something just let's get him at bats and see what happens um but in terms of what you were mentioning the the anticlimactic it's true but it's just i'm i'm with i'm with the team in terms that even though we all wanted to see it it just wasn't necessary if you don't if you didn't have the perfect deal um then you can just wait um, I'm fine with that. It would have been amazing to have our, our, our future center fielder these last two months and seeing him um, with our uniform at, at our stadium. But yeah, if, if we don't get that perfect deal, there will be plenty of time in the off season to get him. 
Yeah, absolutely agreed. And that's kind of what Kim Ang alluded to when she spoke to the media at Marlins Park, or I should say Lone Depot Park, excuse me. Um, that's kind of what she alluded to, that the conversations that they had, um, they're confident in them and they'll be revisited. So um, I would just say that the hope is that everybody stays healthy. You know, all the guys that were talked about, Meyer, Eater, um, you know, other guys in this minor league system, the names that were all thrown around, you know, uh, during during this deadline. The hope is that everybody stays healthy. Um, they all they all keep contributing on the level that they have so far. And you can get a similar deal in the offseason. Um, I definitely think it's, it's possible. I've said this before that, um, you know, dealing in the offseason where everybody's dealing, you know, and everybody's trying to improve, you know, for whatever situation that they're in versus dealing at the deadline when you have panic buyers that are that are trying to buy for a playoff run and, you know, buyers that are trying to buy for the future from teams that are selling things off. I do think that you lose a little bit of leverage. However, um, you know, if with the prospects that the Marlins have in this system, it's one of the best systems in baseball. If you're going to deal from the prospects and the top end of the prospects, as we heard with, with Max Meyer for that Craig Mish report with the angels, um, the Marlins are a tough team to beat. So um, I really don't think they'll lose a whole lot. I think they'll lose a little bit just because like I said, everybody's dealing, they're not going to lose a whole lot of leverage. So I think it'll be fine. And if they want to revisit those deals, man, um, Definitely going to be an interesting offseason. I think they're going to be extremely busy in the offseason searching for that that center field piece and a couple other pieces as well. So Exactly. We're only the center field piece, but there's a lot that they need to do. Of course. Um, it's center field, it's catcher. Yep. Um, it's probably also another another outfielder. Yeah. And um, not to mention the bullpen. <laughs> um, they have to do a lot. They need to find that line between trading and and free agency I hope they use free agency a lot so our, our system doesn't suffer as much um but if it's necessary to make the trades make the trades man um i had us contending for 2021 so i mean they didn't i know that a lot of things went wrong um you have to contend for 2022 there's yeah. it's that's it you know it's the end of the line here just it's it's yeah. time yeah and with the moves that they made they brought in these fringe guys and i mean honestly uh so far from the little that we've seen in their marlins careers they've looked good so far and these guys are going to get a full shot you see de la cruz he's played mm-hmm. i think every game since he's been traded over or gotten to miami he's basically played every game and i think started every single game um and he's looked really good he's he's shown it in the outfield he's running balls down he's got pretty good speed that looks okay. He's already got five hits. And then Jackson, um, you see them moving Jorge Alfaro to left field to get this guy in the games. Mm-hmm. So clearly it's a focus that they're going to give these guys their full shot, you know, to succeed here this season and, and probably at the beginning of next season, depending what they do at the deadline, you know, if they bring in another star catcher, maybe that, you know, maybe Jackson becomes a backup. But for right now, man, these guys are going to get their full shot and, and, and why not? It's a lost season. These are the guys you brought in. Let them play, man. And these guys both have looked good lately in their in their minor league careers. Got a little bit, both of them, I think, to tone down on the strikeouts. Um, but other than that, they, they look like some solid pieces, and we didn't really give up a ton to get them. So I do like those deals. Um, the last thing I want to talk to you about, Daniel, on this before we go on is Adam Duvall. Um, you know, obviously they have the hole in center field that's now made by Marte, who went for Luzardo. We all knew that was going to happen. Um just the fact that they opened pretty much and no knock on De La Cruz, maybe he could hold down that spot long-term. I really hope that happens. I think it could happen. I, I really like the look of that kid, man. I think he looks good so far, but just to open up virtually another basically hole or question mark, at least in the outfield by trading Duvall, um, you know, he had the player option or the mutual option, I should say, 
Um, the, the, the thought was that he wasn't going to come back on that, I think $7 million mutual option. Like he wasn't going to accept it. Um, but what, what would have been so terrible? We know the Marlins have this new money and one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, like, would it have been the worst idea in the world to offer that guy a two year, $15 million deal to come back? Like, what are your thoughts on just his departure? I like Duvall. Um, obviously it's a big hit not having that power in our lineup, um, yeah, a two year, 15 million for him sounds fair. So, so yeah, uh, I guess they decided that they want to go in a different direction. Uh, maybe they want more contact. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I was surprised they gave him to the Braves. Yeah, really kind into of Atlanta, man. Like, yeah, that, that bugged me. But yeah, like who knows um, if he sticks in Atlanta, like who knows if they can resign him, but we know he played there for a while. So maybe they, they come with the two-year deal and, and he signs it. Like I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. And that's a guy that's yeah. going to win a silver slugger and maybe even a gold glove. He's been really good on defense in different spots. He even played center field and he was pretty good. Um, so, you know, like any, he, now he's going to win those awards with the Braves that, that just, after he did all yeah, that damage with the Marlins, you know, yeah, he definitely went a gold glove. I, I don't know if silver slugger, cause he, I don't think he has a hit tool to do it. Like right. he'll hit, he'll hit his 30 bombs. Yeah, uh, but but he'll he'll still still hit two thirty two forty, right? Um, but but yeah, and and you just know he will murder us all of next season if he stays. Like you just know it. Um, so yeah, I really hated giving it giving the Braves. Definitely. All right, uh, I definitely agree. That one that one stung. <laughs> um, I do like the return pieces, but um, and you know for two months of him, what we got back was completely fine. Um, but with uh with with jackson i believe but you know yeah it sucked to lose to lose duvall in that regard to yeah. the division rival but anyways we're gonna go on um that's the deadline <laughs> we'll move on we still got our, our levels to get to and a new level here which we're going to start with daniel um but before we get to that um i will say we're not going to go right now into the dominican summer league just because the reports out of that level are just so scarce we're just getting to know so many of those kids um, whereas in the FCL, we at least know a little bit about some of these prospects that are down there. We can give you guys some, some knowledgeable reports on these guys, even though we're not there in person, we're just reading box scores. Um, you know, we, we can still give you some, some knowledge because of reports or what we've seen. Whereas in the DSL, it's not really like that. I haven't seen a lot. Daniel's probably seen not a lot as well. So we're going to skip on the DSL, mm-hmm. but we did have a, a question um, in regards to international picks and free agents a lot of which go to the DSL to start their career. So I think this is a good time to bring it in. Um, And it was from uh, somebody on Twitter, Miami or nothing. Um, He wanted to know, have you guys heard anything about who the Marlins might be targeting or who they already have agreements with in international free agency? I'm going to let you answer this one, Daniel, but I'm I'm just going to give you my my two cents here uh, and nothing more that uh, I wouldn't expect a ton out of this international draft. But go ahead, Daniel. I'll let you field this one. Um, so baseball America, they always have their, um, their list and how they order that list. Isn't by, by quality of the player, they rank it by, um, bonus money. So they, these deals are already thought of, like they're already agreed to pretty much like one or two years, uh, before these kids turn 16. So everyone pretty much knows. And, so with that in mind, their top 50 list, I believe, I think it's 50, doesn't have one agreement between between one of these 
players and the Marlins. Obviously, the more bonus money you give them, it's the most, the more pedigree, the more money, the more pedigree. Um, so don't expect like big, unless somebody comes out of nowhere, um, uh, like, uh, I don't know, somebody defects from Cuba or something out of nowhere and Miami knew. <laughs> um, don't expect them to grab like a Salas or a Yidi Cape or, or um, a Victor Victor Mesa in terms of pedigree. I would expect that this time they're going to go with quantity over quality. So mm-hmm. normally they've been grabbing their 3 million, 3.5 million guy and then um, three or four solid. 500k guys and then you know the 20 20,000 guys 15 20,000 guys it sounds like this time they're gonna go with another you know, 10 500k guys um, which you know many of those turn out to be really really good um, and and just go with these smaller like not as well-known guys so that's that's my my thought here uh, again unless like somebody comes out of nowhere and Miami gives all the bonus money to them so to answer your question uh, Miami or nothing <laughs> um that's that's what I think will happen yeah I, I definitely agree um you know they're they're not going to spend that big chunk on on somebody in the top five maybe not even top 10 guys but man um this is a system that's done so well with Fernando Seguinal as the international scouting director and in plucking these guys, you know, these lesser money guys out from, from, you know, from, from the ranks of the international draft class. I mean, we're seeing some of them this year. Um, you know, we're going to talk about a couple on the show uh, with Yandel Paulino, who I'll talk about. And then of course, Daniel's guy, Yuri Perez, you know, they, they've done really well in, in plucking some guys, you know, out of, out of, you know, the lower, not, maybe not lower ranks, but not those top tier ranks. Right of the, of the international draft. So I would not bet against Fernando to, to, um, to get some great, some great picks out of the, uh, out of the international draft, no matter, you know, if they're going quality over quantity or quantity over quality. But I think here, as Daniel said, they'll go, they'll go quantity over quality um, with, with the pool that they have and no linking so far from everything that we've heard to any of those top 10 guys. So, but yeah, man, uh, I, I think it's definitely to, to finish up on what Daniel said. Um, it's, it's not going to be a big name, as I said at the beginning, um, but it, it's definitely, and I think almost a sure thing that Fernando is going to get a couple of quality players, you know, with, with what they have out of those lower ranks. So uh, that'll be something that we cover later on, but um, a good question. Um, not something we're here asked a lot on international free agents, but um, the Marlins, of course, are always active in that phase and uh, see how they do this year. Um, should be interesting. All right. So, uh, that said, we'll go on um, and we'll get to the FCL, the newly named FCL, by the way. It used to be the Gulf Coast League. Now they're calling it the Florida Complex League. Um, I Not boring at all. I'm not really a fan, but uh, <laughs> I like the Gulf Coast League a little bit better. But hey, you know, <laughs> things happen. Uh, redrawing happens. Um, you know, uh, redaction happens from MILB, as we saw with the short season ranks. And here we are. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we'll get to that. Um, we're going to go to the FCL kids, and there's a lot to be excited about in these ranks, even though they're getting rained out like every other day here in our rainy season here in South Florida. They play at like 10 in the morning, and it usually starts raining around 11. So a lot of these games are going like two innings and getting rained out. But from what we have seen, Daniel, um, I'll let you go first. Um, give us one or two guys that you've been following here in the FCL that you like. All right, I'll give you one hitter and one pitcher. Um, the hitter is someone we've been talking about for a while, and it's Osiris Johnson. 
Um, he started out his season in Jupiter and impressed in his first week, <laughs> but it was all downhill from there. Um, so much so that in late June, he was demoted to the Florida Complex League to not only work on his swing, but also to change positions. Um, he had 16 errors, 16 errors between second base and third base in 28 games, 16 errors in 28 games, ladies and gentlemen, at low A. Um, Osiris is now a center fielder. Um, so it looks from what I've heard uh, that he's a solid center fielder and apparently a much better hitter. He obviously, you know, it's, um, it's disappointed that he was demoted and yes, he's doing it against much younger competition but remember that he's only 20 you know this isn't a guy who's like 24 and and, and killing everyone um he's a 20 year old who missed the last two seasons so so um in july the kid had a slash line of 355 average 403 obp and 806 slugging which amounts to a 1209 ops and a 16.4 k rate uh, 16.4% K rate. I'm assuming he'll be promoted back to Jupiter in the next few days um, with all, all of the uh, draft guys coming in. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see how he responds to that promotion after his position change and just getting that groove back. So excited about Osiris. I mean, he's a, he's a top prospect in our system. Horrible results to start, but he looks like he got his swing back. It looks like he's more comfortable in the outfield. So let's keep an eye on him. And my other guy, a pitcher, is one of these guys who we talked about in the about a international signing. This one, he's before Fernando, I believe, but but still, this is one of those guys who I couldn't even find the bonus that was paid for him. That pretty much means it's ten thousand to fifteen thousand or something. Uh, but this is Del- Delvis Alegre. Delvis Alegre. Um, this is a name that only the hardcore Marlins prospects fans will know. <laughs> Um, but he's been doing very well for the FCL team this season. He's a 20-year-old righty from the Dominican at 6'2 and 180 pounds. He's a guy who has had very good results since he was drafted in 2017. Um, he didn't come with that pedigree, pedigree as I mentioned, um, but he's definitely produced. He has pitched at the DSL level two seasons and did fine in both with obviously the Best season being, of course, the, the the second season where he put up a two, 2.58 ERA, 1.04 whip. This is his third season uh, as a pro, and they finally brought him to the U.S. He's carrying right now a 2.42 ERA, 1.03 whip, and a 60.7% ground ball rate, which is just bonkers. That's elite. In terms of his stuff, um, four pitch mix with a fastball that goes up to 95, 95 miles per hour. And he's just really polished. I think that's that's the word to use for him. Just a polished guy, but with stuff. So um, something that has been missing from his game, though, is, is the strikeout. At these levels, I'd like to see that K per nine be higher. Um, to start this season, it's at 7.66 uh, per nine. So, again, it's a bit lower. I, w- I want to see him be a bit more dominant, but he's doing really good. So, yeah, those are my two guys at the FCL. Nice, nice. Yeah, uh, definitely agree. Uh, I mean, man, <laughs> these guys are, are are just getting their career started, and it's, it's awesome to see that immediate translation. That's that's what we're talking about here with, with these guys. And I'll, I'll give you two of mine. Um, you know, 
we have to talk about this guy. <laughs> I mean, we rated him as high as we did in, in our top 100 for a reason. Um, I loved everything that I saw from this kid in the film that, you know, we saw from him. Obviously, the Marlins spent big money on this guy and in the international draft, and it's for a very good reason. And this is Jose Stalas. Um, I've been calling this guy, you know, Daniel Haziri, um, and I talk about Troy and a couple other guys, but this guy I, I can honestly say is one of, if not my ultimate favorite prospect in the Marlins organization. And here's why. Here's here's the immediate translation I just talked about. His first 19 games in pro ball, 406, 506, 531. He's got a homer, which is his first big league homer, of course, and five doubles. He's been on base in all but one game he's appeared in, and that was as a pinch hitter. <laughs> he leads all FCL hitters in batting average. He's second in on-base percentage. He leads in WRC plus with 183. Obviously, it's still really early in the FCL season. They got what, like, I think 30 or 40 games left to play. I think they played like 65, 67 games, something like that. So there's still a ways to go. Obviously, you know, we got to see how he adjusts. Um, you know, I, I mean, a lot, a lot of these pitchers are new pitchers every time in these leagues, especially now with the, the redacted short season leagues here stateside. They're facing a different pitcher basically every game. So I don't think he has to worry about facing the same guys. So that's what the difference is between FCL ball and when they get pushed up to full season ball, when you're seeing the same guys, when reports are a little bit better versus just, you know, the team scouts out there and the team guys out there, you know, scouts get back out and they're able to, to scout these players and put out better reports online and, you know, players and, and staffs look at that kind of stuff, especially from these legitimate sources. So, you know, that that's going to be where, where you have to see it continue. But man, th this first showing has been incredible. Um, it's a 500 Babbitt though. That's the other thing that I think is unsustainable. That will definitely come down. <laughs> and I think with that, so will his batting average. But man, this kid has just done everything that we thought he would do and more. Again, it's why we ranked him, you know, 15th in our top 100. Daniel, I'm, I'm so stoked to see this kid continue to grow. We've talked about it before. You know, he's done pretty well here in the middle infield lately, but I do eventually see him moving to third base um, where he would be most welcome in this Marlins organization because it's definitely a position of need. We talk about Osiris moving to center field. That's a position of need. And I do think he had a ton of pressure taken off of him, as Daniel mentioned, Osiris, just to talk about him, where his bat's coming out more. You know, uh, those middle infield spots, those are those are tough spots. I mean, third base is hard as well. Um, not an easy spot either. But, yeah, I, I definitely see Salas going one way only here instead of both ways, um, you know, to get the ball in his, in, his, um, in his future major league career. So I think that'll probably take a little bit of pressure off of him um, when his career really starts getting going. So – yeah, I think he's a third baseman as he fills out. But, man, for now, like I said, he's playing middle infield, doing some special things at the plate. 18-year-old kid, great bat-to-ball skills. Power's already there. Tons of room to grow into his immature size. Great bat speed. Solid in the field, as I said before. This is one to watch for years, guys. Like, this is a guy that's not just the guy that, that has the hype around him right now. The hype's going to stay, and it's going to stay for good reason. So I, I, I hope we get to see him in Jupiter by the season's end. Oh, we have to. We have to because um, Khalil is coming. Yeah, and McCants is coming. And those levels so, are so loaded. There's so many players. Like you go down those rosters, right? and there's so many players. Like they have to move guys up. And I think Salas will be one. Exactly. You know, Salas has to go up. Um, Ian Lewis as well. Yeah. I, I would. I would assume. Um, but yeah, Jose Salas, the reason why he's 15th and not higher is because we want to see more, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, the, we know the pedigree, we know what everybody says about him. We know everything, but we just haven't seen him. So with this start, if he maintains it, obviously it's a BABIP to the moon, but 
you know, it's a small sample size. Let's let's yep. see how he keeps doing. But I have all the confidence in the world on that kid. He looks amazing. Yeah, awesome. I, I love that kid, man. I, I think he's going to be incredible. That's a guy to watch, again, like I said, for, for years to come and this is just to start. But I'll, I'll give you one more briefly here. Um, Yandel Paulino. Um, this is a Marlins international signing, I think, by the old regime in 2017, who's still sticking around. Um, and I think there's good reason for that. <laughs> he broke in with the DSL in 2018, repeated that level in 2019, and he did pretty well there. 316, 427, 433, 59, 36 KBB. Competed, I believe, in all 67 games that year for that team. Um, he's now stateside for the first time. And as I said, it, it's translating pretty well stateside, which is big. Um, first 10 games, he's hitting 375, 375, 667 with two home runs. Not much was said about this kid's bonus. And as Daniel said before, um, there's probably a lot, not a lot to say about it. <laughs> you know, it probably it's wasn't the same a lot class. of money. It's the same class as, as Alegre. Yeah. And this was, I mean, this definitely was the Loria way. Yeah. It's like, hey, just sign a hundred of them. You right. know, two or three or five of them will turn out good. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely what, what they did in 2017. Yeah. That, that was the way with Loria with everything was, you know, <laughs> quantity over quality. I think you could say that yeah. about the big league level as well as the minor level. But anyways, yeah. Um, but yeah, not much was said about the signing bonus, but his numbers have just continued to be great, continued to pop. Um, and they're continuing here stateside, as I said. Um, he's 6'1", 193. He's 20. Um, not the biggest dude in the world. I think the big, the makeup here, honestly, Daniel, looks like um, more doubles, more gap-to-gap power, and a good average good on base skills to this guy. Um, Not a ton of like over the fence or home run power, but maybe as he fills out again, as I said, he's 20. So he's still a little bit of time. Maybe as he fills out, gains more muscle mass, you know, here for stateside season, as I said, gets in those, you know, um, state-of-the-art gyms versus, you know, the Marlins do have a great um, DSL complex now and another one that's in the works. But, um, you know, coming up over there, it's it's hard to find those state-of-the-art facilities. So maybe as he as he continues to, um, to grow up here stateside, he can come by a little bit more mass, a little bit more natural power. Um, he's eligible for all three outfield spots. I think he's likely a corner outfielder long-term. That's where he's playing most regularly. Um, he's at the back end of our top 100. I think he's in like the low 90s. He is getting a tad old for these short season levels. Um, another guy that I really want to see pushed up to Jupiter. But yeah, some, some, some solid numbers here put up by, um, by Yondel. So I, I think there's, there's something to this guy. Right. So uh, I think that'll do it for our first taste of the FCL here on the show this year. Um, We'll go to Jupiter. Uh, This team, Daniel, has come on a little bit of late. Um, It's struggled offensively most of the season, but as I said, it's been better lately. Um, They went 10 and three to end the month of July, including a game where they exploded for 17 runs, just pretty much out of nowhere, which was a season high for them. Um, This is all while playing a ton of double headers. Again, we mentioned this, this rainy season here in Florida it rains pretty much every day. The ground gets soaked. And then if, if it doesn't rain at night, the field conditions at Roger Dean could be unplayable. So they've been playing double headers like every week, sometimes multiple double headers, including this week. So yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a team that, that just goes through it pretty much every year. And these are now younger kids at this low A level that are starting to deal with that. So you like to see the offense coming out a little bit from them. Um, really nice to see. Uh, yeah, some, so some good signs. Um, Daniel, I, I think I know what you're going to say, and it, it's for good reason <laughs> on your guys, but I'll let you go ahead first. Um, standouts for the month of July in Jupiter. Let me let me check my notes, man. Who do I have here? Oh, look at that. It's <laughs> it's Eudy Perez. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's a surprise. 
Guys, this this young man uh, doesn't stop for anyone. Uh, what a month of July and what a season for this kid. You'd think that the league would have adjusted to him by now. I mean, they are playing the same freaking teams, but no. Uh, he absolutely dominated in July where he started five games for the Hammerheads. 21 innings, 1.29 ERA, 0.81 whip, 12.43 strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, for the whole season, he has a 1.88 ERA, 0.98 whip, and a 12.38 K per nine. And for the love of God, the kid is still 18. You know, according to baseball reference, that's 3.9 years less than than the average age of the of the low a southeast league 3.9 that's four years guys we actually got a question from jamie robinson about about Audi and what kind of potential he has and i don't know what else we can say about this kid i've been having nightmares since since craig mish mentioned that a lot of teams were calling for him <laughs> i'll tell you right now if we include Eudy Perez on a trade it better be for an all-star because this guy is a real deal like he's not going to be ready next season but he's a real deal i've been asking around and, and you'll start seeing him in the top 100 list in the next few months quick reminder of his stuff um four pitches he has a sinker and a four seamer that both sit 95 97 uh, a curveball, 79-81, and a changeup, 87-89, and they're all really good. Uh, obviously, he needs to work on a few of them, but but they just project to be so good. I'm not sure what Miami's plan is with him. Uh, they never let him go past five innings or 75 pitches. I'd like to see how he fares, but, I mean, it is what it is. I'm, I'm pretty sure he has a, an innings limit, and I think he's close. I think he's going to – He's maybe going to pitch one more month or something. Uh, I don't think he's going to finish the whole season. And I don't think they're going to send him to Beloit. I really don't. Um, so I, I assume they'll start him there 2022, start at Beloit, and just give him the chance to go up to Pensacola for a 2023, uh, if everything goes well, if he stays healthy, a 2023 MLB debut, whether it's early or mid-2023. I think that's the year for him. But just really exciting. You're talking about a guy that, that could make the bigs by like age 20, age 21. Mm -hmm. Like if we're talking about it and the numbers are ridiculous. 1.88 ERA, 66, 17 walks to strikeout, 0.98 whip. It's, it's just insane. 0.67 ground out to out. So, I mean, this is a guy that, that is just getting it done in every way. He's up to 97 miles an hour down into like the low to mid seventies. It, it's, it's crazy, like, to see an 18-year-old kid performing at this level, at any level. Like, you know, we're talking about guys in the FCL that are 20 and 21 that are just getting their careers going. Mm -hmm. This guy's challenged to the single-A full-season level, and he has absolutely starstruck everybody, basically every time he's pitched. So definitely see everything that Daniel saw in him heading into the season. So props to Daniel for, for seeing it, man, because this guy, this guy is, is, is special and he's starting to garner some attention. When Craig said that, Daniel, I think I said it on that Twitter <laughs> spaces that man, Daniel's probably like ripping his hair out right now. So, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and this is one of those guys who is not crazy, um, crazy expensive, like a yeah. solace or a Victor Victor Mesa at three yeah. mil, but wasn't also like just, quantity 10k 15k he right. was 200 dollars you know yeah. he had 
it's a, it's a, it's a solid amount. So I think we're going to see a lot, a lot of those 200 to $500,000 for this international. Agreed. Um, yeah. So that's one of my guys. And my other one is another pitcher and it's, it's Evan Fitterer who is finally here. We waited a couple months um, because of injury, but now he's here and it looks like he's here to stay. I've, I've really liked what, what I've seen from, from Evan. Um, our guy, Ian Smith at, at Prospects Live has been a, a big believer of, of the guy um, for a while now. And I see why it's a five pitch mix, four seam fastball that he's throwing up to 94 uh, curveball, changeup, slider, and he's a bread and butter pitch, a beautiful cutter that he throws in the low 90s, can touch 94. Um, I love that. I love that pitch for, for a young guy. Between the FCL and Jupiter this month, uh, the month of July, I mean, he had a 2.45 ERA with an 11.40 K per nine, while a high, a high whip um, at 1.45. Keep in mind, though, that these these stats um, aren't important uh, important right now since it's a very small sample size. Due due to his injury, he hasn't been getting more than 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 three innings per start. So he's just taking the rust off, and, and it's been a while since he pitched. Um, but my idea here is kind of just to reacquaint you with him because you'll be hearing a lot about him in the next few years. Yeah. Definitely agree. Um, those these arms are just just it's it's so much to be excited about in, from all of these arms. You know, we mentioned Yuri, uh, Daniel mentioned Evan. We see Daxton Fulton here. Um, you know, early in the month of August, coming on pretty well. Uh, late in July too, he's pretty good. Um, but yeah, if we're talking about the month of July, I'm gonna give you guys a bat. Daniel gave you the arms. I'm, I'm gonna give you the bat. Um, this is maybe a guy that you wouldn't have expected to hear on the show, but I've been calling him out a little bit on Twitter, and I, I really want to want to call him out here. It's it's Jamion Cody. Um, this is an interesting kid, 15 round, 15th round pick out of uh, junior college in 2019. Um, he's kind of been like all over. He got his feet wet in the GCL to end that year. Um, good walk and sh- walks to strikeout numbers there, but not a ton of contact. He started the year this year with Jupiter, um, just a few games and got sent back to extended spring training. He then served the game with the snappers in single A advance as a fill-in. That's when I was kind of getting worried that, you know, okay, if he's filling in, you know, these guys that they call up, you know, from levels like the FCL to fill in games, you know, at higher levels, it tends to say that they don't think a lot about their ceiling, but man, this guy got assigned back to Jupiter and I think he's opened some eyes, man. Uh, So yeah, let's talk about the numbers here performing really well in July. He goes 368, 471, 456, 1711 KBB has five doubles end of the month on an eight game hit streak and a 16 game on base streak. So clearly this kid has found something. He's a 22 year old, six, three, 200 pounder, uh, above average speed to him. Good swing lacks much raw strength. I will say, which makes him more of that singles and gap doubles hitter. But as I said, and as he showed, he can definitely find those gaps and the speed makes him a threat for doubles. So man, just works good. ABs not striking out a ton as he never has. Just another guy from that 2019 draft, Daniel, even though this was a later round pick, that beautiful 2019 draft, who's starting to make a name for himself. Um, it's hard to dislike what we've seen from him this month. Maybe a call to Beloit coming in the future. What do you think? I agree, man. And we know that a lot of these guys will get promotions because of what I mentioned of the draft guys. Draft, I mean, yeah. that's mm-hmm. 20 people coming into the organization yeah. and you can't have 50 
guys at the at the FCL, um, especially so these late college guys. You don't want to start them all at the at the F- these these college exactly. seniors, college juniors. You don't want to start them all FCL. I mean, some of them yes, but if you already see you know Tanner Allen going up, you know, Tedler, yeah. yeah. So yeah, exactly. for sure. Um, we'll see. We'll see a lot of these guys get pushed, and I think Javion's one of them. Uh, all right, so I think that's all we have for our friends over um, in Abacoa and Jupiter. Uh, we'll go up. We'll go to Beloit. Um, a bit of a disappointing final month for our friends in Wisconsin at, at Pullman Field. Uh, Daniel, their last month there, they go 10 and 17 in July. They did end it on a good note, though. They won four in a row. Um, you know, they've also had Pensacola draw from a lot, a lot from them lately with Griffin and a lot of their pitching, Griffin Conine, and a lot of their pitchers have gone up. So um, can't really blame them. <laughs> but yeah, I think the bigger news here for Beloit as an organization as a whole is the opening of this new stadium which looks amazing. So um, a big congrats goes out to our friend, Quinn Studer, friend of the show, and everyone with the Snappers. Um, they just opened that park here a couple days ago. Uh, man, looks like like a gorgeous stadium. Definitely modernized from what they had, but I think it still maintains that that old school ambiance. It's a fully brick building, you know, with that 360 concourse. You know, they still have their hawkers in the stands and everything, which I saw tonight, uh, on on one of their from one of their fans posting on Twitter. So yeah, it still maintains that old school ambiance from Pullman, but it definitely has you know, those, those much closer to PBA standards in terms of a batter's eye. We heard Troy Johnston talk about having a batter's eye and what that's done for him or is going to do for him and has already, because I think he's already hit three home runs <laughs> with, with, uh, with Beloit here in the month of August. Uh, but yeah, um, just, just, a, just a great thing to see that this team that's been around in minor league baseball for a long time, um, finally get a park that, that, that they can, you know, further cater to their players and further cater to these Martins prospects. So definitely good to see. Absolutely. Right, um, so, stadium um, looks beautiful. Uh, I'll, I'll say that it looks amazing. Every time I see a picture, it's exciting. Um, the, the, um, the, the playing field is the same material yep. as Marlins park. I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty interesting. Yep. Pensacola uh, as well. Yeah. That was, that was something that Quint, was, was really invested in is, is, you know, getting these guys the same playing surfaces as Marlins Park so that they're used to it when they get to that level, which that's huge for prospect development. I really love that detail. But anyways, um, that's the park. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, and I think soon they're, they're going to be on MILB TV as well. So we'll be able to cover that team a lot more in depth. Um, we, I mean, we already do. We already get some great reports out of there from everybody that goes to their games, but we will be able to watch basically every one of their games here. Uh, pretty shortly. So excited for that as well. Speaking from uh, a selfish standpoint, I guess for me and Daniel, but anyways, uh, we'll get to our guys, Daniel. Um, I'll let you go first again. Uh, you're one or two guys from Beloit that stood out in July. I have one guy. Um, it's also, it's a pitcher who we have talked about before and it's um, MD Johnson. As I mentioned, you know, we, we've talked about MD several times in this podcast. We identified how his stuff was untouchable at low A Jupiter, but he had crazy control issues. I believe in his first five to six starts, he had like a like nine watts per nine innings pitched. Um, that's that's crazy. So his um, his average against was elite, but his whip was mediocre due to the walk. Um, he really started to bring those walks down little by little, starting in mid-June. And then in early July, he was promoted to high A Beloit, absolutely uh, deserved. Since he was promoted, he has been doing very well. 2.05 ERA, 1.14 whip, but most importantly, 2.86 um, walks per nine rate. 
um, again, from nine in those first five to six starts to 2.86 um, and, and at a higher level. So it looks like he sacrificed a bit of stuff though to temper his control. He has a lower, like kind of a low key rate and it is a bit more hittable than when, than when he was in Jupiter. But that may simply also be the, the difficulty that comes with jumping to a new level. Um, he needs to find that line between stuff and, and control. I, I hope and feel he will find it. Uh, but he's definitely a guy who will be monitoring in his next few starts to see if he's the real deal or if he's going to be more, you know, end up in the bull, in the bullpen. Yeah, definitely refreshing to see him start to work out some of his control worries because man, when he's effective, he's really good. Um, it's just those walks and, and those, you know, real bad tendency to get wild there with Jupiter that really hurt him. So if he has to sacrifice a little bit of stuff, I think he can get away with it. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing here with Beloit. So yeah, that's good to see from MD. Um, if he sticks as a starter, it's going to be back end. I think it's possible. Um, I think the more likely ceiling uh, or the more likely future, I should say, ceiling is definitely back end. But if, you know, if he keeps going on this, on this, you know, I guess kind of role that he's going on, sacrificing stuff for command and control, I think it's more bullpen. But I mean, if, if he can, if he can calm it down a little bit and then bring the stuff back um, to match, I think he definitely could stick as a starter. So we'll see what happens with MD. That's definitely an interesting guy. I always love reading his stat line. Um, anyways, <laughs> I'll go to mine. I have one. It's also a pitcher. And then I'm going to go honorable mention as well, um, just because I want to mention him. But the guy that I have is Antonio Velez. Um, this is a Miami native who attended Florida State University, and he's really come on as of late here in his first pro season. Uh, he's drafted in 2019, obviously missed 2020 with, with COVID, and started in the bullpen, and he's moved to the rotation, and he's been really good all year long. Uh, last three starts in July, they're all quality starts. They went 21 innings pitched with just six run runs, which is a 2.57 ERA. He followed that up. I know we're talking about July, but I want to mention his, his first, his first in August here. It's a seven inning performance with a career high 10 strikeouts. So yeah, I mean, what's really stood out about this guy Velez's season are the control numbers on the season. He has a 71 to seven KBB in July. That figure was 27 strikeouts, Daniel, and one walk. Just one walk in the month of July. So this is crazy good control, and the stuff is there to match. Fastball up to 95. He's a lefty with arm side run away from righty hitters. Two-plane changeup in the low to mid-80s that he can spot. Again, like I said, with that two-plane fade. That pitch has gained a lot more consistency from his collegiate years, from videos that I saw up until now. The release point looks a lot more smooth, and he's hitting that, you know, the release point with his arm, whereas he's letting it go at the right time. He's letting his fingers do the work with it. That's really, really been what's kind of, I think, set him apart, you know, here as he's grown as a big leaguer. Um, and he also has a really good power slider, and that's up in the high 80s. That kind of gets on hitters quickly. After all that stuff outside, you know, to, to righty hitters, he can he can bust guys in with that slider and give him a completely different look. So, yeah, man, um, control numbers, stuff is there. A guy that repeats well, getting it done as a starter. I really think that this guy is somebody that we need to start paying attention to right now. It looks like another case of, of Marlins taking a kid and then just developing the hell out yeah. of him. Um, he's not doing this in the FCL. He's doing mm -hmm. it in high A. Yep. This is, this um, Kyle Nicholas struggled a bit here. You know, this is what he's doing is pretty impressive. Now I'm a little bit up there in age. He's 24, mm -hmm. um, but will be 24 the whole season. Yep. So uh, next season will be his, his age 25. Um, and that's when we'll see him in double A and triple A and maybe even make a debut with, with, with Miami if he keeps it up. But he's a, he's a lefty. And um, 
I love it. I mean, it, it's great. I, I, a month ago, I didn't see him as, you know, as, as much, just as maybe we didn't see Thompson as much. Maybe we didn't see Poteet as much. But again, the Marlins are just grabbing these guys and, and, and really um, bringing out the best out of them. So let's keep looking to see what happens. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Um, and just to bring up the fact about what he's doing against uh, opposite side hitting against righties, it's just a 210 batting average against. So, yeah, and that's in 47 innings versus just 20, 23 against lefties. So, yeah, it's a guy that's getting it done against both sides. And it's in his first season as a pro, like I said. Stuff looks good. Stuff looks improved from where he was at college. Um, that's a guy who I, I definitely could see, you know, basically we're talking about him now. I think a lot of people will say he came out of nowhere. But remember this conversation when you hear Antonio Velez in the future for the Marlins. I think it could happen pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other one I want to mention, this is just kind of honorable mention, but I want to call his name out because he's doing well. It's Victor Victor Mesa. Um, this is probably not a name that, this is probably a name I should say that a lot of people have given up on after a slow start to the season and a demotion to the single A advanced level in his age 25 season, I believe. Daniel, I know we were also getting skeptical. He did drop a bit in our top 100, but, but listen, man, Maybe this is what this guy needed, right? Go down, beat up on some younger pitching, build up some confidence. It appears to me as that's what he's doing. Since the demotions of Beloit, he's hitting 339, 393, 518 with four doubles and his first two pro home runs. Yes, those came pretty late in his uh, minor league career, but he did it. So kudos to, to Victor Victor. Um, he's been on base in nine of his last 11 games you know, since that mid-July assignment. So, you know, like I said, I know people are disappointed in his performance as a whole, but this is a guy who hasn't had it easy. You know, after not playing in almost two years back home, leading up to his selection by the Marlins, he then had 2020 wiped out due to COVID, which everybody did. And then when the season finally gets started, he suffers a pretty nasty ankle injury and misses almost, actually misses more than a full month. So he never really has gotten that consistent playing time and reps at the pro level. And no matter your age and no matter where you're at, that's what is most important, you know, to these guys that are developing as players. And we hear it a lot from prospects and from coaches and from front office alike. What's most important is getting at bats, getting your reps, and just, just working on your weaknesses. So again, hopefully this is a confidence boost for Mesa and he can come back up to the upper minors soon and, and have it translate because the tools are definitely there. Absolutely. Um, maybe this is what he needed. Um and I mean, I don't want to really defend the guy because obviously we've all been pretty disappointed in what we've seen. We wasted pretty much yeah. all of our money in yeah. that uh, international signing. You know, it's like six million between him and 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 VMJ and and, and Victor Mesa Jr., which is good. Victor Mesa Jr. looks solid. Um, not as solid as I would have hoped, but low A still. He has a lot to learn. But Victor Victor has been a huge, huge disappointment. Like, don't even go in and look at the list of guys, of international guys who who um, got less money that year that we could have gotten. Um, don't don't do it. Don't do that to yourselves. Um, but this is encouraging. You know, zero home runs in in, in one and a half seasons, and he hit two in like a week. So he he's Finding his stroke, um, I'll take that 142 WRC plus in 14 games. Um, he's never been a high strikeout guy, so that's that's good. We know that he's amazing in the field, 
Um, so yeah, maybe there is a chance for him. And again, I don't want to get do excuses for him, but he didn't play for like two years um, before coming to the States. So I always did say that let's, let's give him that first season, um, you know, just kind of get back to it. Mm -hmm. But obviously after three months and he did get injured this season, but after three months of just more of the same, you know, it's ground ball, ground ball, ground ball, you know, whenever he, he did hit, get a hit, it was like a bloop. I mean, and then demoted. I'm like, okay, I'm done. But I mean, he, now he is showing. So I'm just, let's just take a look. doesn't hurt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is with, with the money that he got and where he's at. But I mean, this is definitely an encouraging sign, as Daniel said. Obviously, he's doing it against much younger competition, um, you know, at, at the single A advanced level. He didn't do well at double A. And that's where you want to see prospects translate is at the upper minors levels. However, um, again, maybe this is a confidence boost for him. I just wanted to call it out. Me and Daniel are not making excuses for Victor. Victor Mesa. he has been disappointing, especially after the signing bonus that he got, as Daniel mentioned. However, maybe this is exactly what he needed. And, you know, he can go get, gain his confidence, come back up and, and do well. So that's what we all hope for Victor Victor. I just wanted to call him out. Maybe not as a top performer in July, but definitely a guy that may be starting to, uh, to show that he can get it done here in professional baseball. So we'll see how he does for the rest of the season. All right. So I think that will do it for the level. Actually, no, we had a question that we wanted to get to um, from Beloit Rockers. Uh, I do want to answer his question because he always has some great insights. So we'll get to that one, Daniel. I'll read it off. Um, he's asked me about Will Bamfield. Um, everyone raves about Will Bamfield's defensive skills, but unfortunately he is still only hitting 170 in high A. The good news is that he's still only 21 years old. How realistic is it for him to improve enough at the plate over the next few seasons to become a productive big leaguer? Oh, man. Um, so this is another guy, um, maybe not on the same level as Victor Victor, because he's a lot younger. Um, obviously, he was a prep pick out of high school, prep catcher. Me and Daniel have talked about prep catchers a lot, especially prep catchers, high school, or college catchers, too, especially prep catchers that are coming out. You know, they're focusing more on on their their um, handling of pitching, their framing, you know, the blocking and stuff like that. And the hitting kind of comes secondary. And Will Banfield was no exception to that. However, um, you know, this is a guy who's kind of getting a little late here in his big league career. This was the year for me, honestly, boy rockers that I looked at and said, I want to see Will Banfield. I want to see his bat come around and I want to see it happen pretty much immediately here in, in the minor league season. And that obviously, and pretty clearly hasn't happened. I mean, he's shown some, some, some promise, you know, he's shown a couple home runs. He's shown a couple bright spots. But man, overall, it's just a ton of weak contact. It's a ton of strikeouts. I, I, I'm kind of getting to that point. Not that I'm out on him because I'm not, because he's still young. But, you know, he's dropping our rankings for a reason, man. And, and he's, he just really, really needs to do work mechanically with his swing. It's very long. He swings at bad pitches. When he does get a hold of one, it's usually weak contact. So, man, I just don't see a ton, you know, of promise in his swing and in his approach to say that I'm ready to bet on him as, you know, a guy that can turn it around. I really hope I'm wrong. You know, I, I really hope that he does. And I really hope that he can do it because he's that amazing defensive presence that we all know about. So, I mean, man, if he if his back can any, come anywhere close to his defense, then it's, it's a guy that can definitely stick as a starting catcher. But I, I'm starting to have doubts. Daniel, I'll let you give your thoughts here. The Marlins also identified it um, going, obviously <clears throat> going out to get Mac 
and Fortes, I mean, there are a lot of people yeah. who have Fortes now above above mm-hmm. Banfield. Yep. But let's let's keep in mind that Fortes is he's 24, mm-hmm. um, which is a, is a, it's a solid age. But uh, Banfield is 21. So I mean, Fortes up to last season, last season he had a six six oh one OPS. You know, I mean, it's not like Fortes lit the world on fire when he was 22, 23, not at all. Um, but I'm with you that I really wanted this year to be his, like the year, not when he just went crazy and came here and, and put up a 900 OPS, but I, I did want, I, I mean, 544 OPS, 50 WRC plus, uh, 32.7% um, K rate. I mean, that's, all of those are, are um, um, you know, worse results than than last season you always just want to see improvement and there is none right now so again i still see the promise the power is there um but he just you know he needs to make the changes the necessary changes as you mentioned the defense is there um we'll see just again still young still 21 but it's time yeah, for sure. And just to add on to those those metrics that you mentioned, Daniel, a 43% ground ball rate, it just goes to what I said that uh, he, he, you know, when he does make contact, it's just not great contact. He's on top of the ball. He's grounding out weekly. He's fouling balls off weekly. And these are balls that he should be hitting at this point in his career. Yes, I know he's still 21 years old, but you're talking about a guy that's been around since since 2018. And I know the missed season's in there as well. So I wanted to really see it this season and it just hasn't happened. So still time for sure. Um, we're not giving up. <laughs> Definitely not giving up. Uh, there's still time, but uh, man, I just see a ton of holes in that guy's swing that, you know, hopefully he can fix it. We'll, we'll see how he does. Um, you know, that, that's, I think that's all we can say. Um, I really hope he can fix it. All right. So I think that will do it <laughs> now for, for um, the snappers. Um, awesome to see them open that new park. I'm excited to get to watch them a little bit close, more closely here um, as they get on MILB TV regularly. But we'll go up. Uh, we'll go to, um, to Pensacola, double uh, A. Uh, this already star studded wow. roster. You know, yeah, it's a rough month. <laughs> yeah, this I'm going to mention this already star-studded roster. They already had the likes of Meyer, Eater, Blade, Burdick. You know, they add in Eddie Cabrera, Kyle Nicholas, Zach McCambly, Griffin Conine, and they go eight and twenty in the month of July. Ooh. Like, yeah, with all those arms, the pitching has been so solid, dude. That's a 3.88 team ERA. It's second in the Double A South, but the offense has just not been there, man. They're last in the Double A South in OPS at 650 as a team. Um, Daniel, I want to ask you this question first, and then we'll get to our guys. Um, can you put your finger on this as a whole, like why this offense, you know, has struggled so much? Obviously, we see Bladea and Burdick coming around a little bit here lately. You know, they started out a little slow. They add in Griffin Conine, who's still been hitting home runs, you know, maybe not at the same rate as he was with the snappers, but he's still putting them out. Uh, but yeah, just just as a whole, th- this offense, you know, it's it's just, just not there for this team. So um, can you pinpoint it? I think so. Um, so obviously – this lineup is has its stars, you know, mm-hmm. and even though like JJ has disappointed and Burdick um, has been fine, you know, he hasn't been amazing, but he's been good. Um, but apart from those two, obviously, you know, Griffin just got here. So we're talking about July. Mm-hmm. Uh, apart from those two, Gerard was injured. Yeah. Um, Fortes, he, he was there, but he didn't have an amazing month. Apart from them, maybe I'm missing something. It's not, they're not very good hitters. You know, you got the Sims, you got, you got, um, um, 
who who else is there? You, you got Gally Cribs. Justice, yeah. you got Cribs. Connor Justice. Um, yeah. Uh, Riley Mahan. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it's, it's not like a really... bunch of stars at the top, and then exactly. just a lot exactly. of guys. Two or three stars, yeah. exactly. And when two the stars are performing, and, and it's on the rest of that lineup, there you I'm go. right with you, man. There you go. I got you. That's it. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, good names, but it's 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 this is baseball. It's not basketball. Exactly. You know, you you. I mean, you don't have to have nine amazing hitters, but you need six. You need seven. Yeah. Um. To to really make a difference. Yeah. You had Gerard go down. You had Victor Victor go down and then get demoted because he wasn't performing. And then Blade and Burdick, they've been okay lately, as we said. But you know, up until basically recently, they haven't really been fantastic. And then you have you know the filler that we talked about before with with, with Galley Cribs and Connor Justice and. Um, you know, they had, they have Brian Abaretto behind the plate right now. So, you know, Cortez went up. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of big names, uh, most of which haven't performed up to this point and then a lot of fillers. So, um, you know, as much as you want to see that lineup with all those big names in it, as much as you want to see them really succeed, um, I think it's more realistic, especially with those big names struggling that, that this is where they're at. So I think I definitely agree with you um, that uh, they have like, you know, three or four big names uh, one of which is injured with Gerard who's rehabbing <laughs> and then they just have a lot of um a lot of uh replacement little guys and it is what it is so um hopefully they can get it going here as as Blade and Burke get going I think we'll see that that uh that OPS number come up and the pitching's been great so can't argue with that uh but we'll get to our guys Daniel um I'll let you go first um if you can pick one or two um from from Pensacola go ahead I'll go with one, um and it's good news Marlins fans uh JJ Blade is putting it together <laughs> Uh, let's see. Month of May, first month, was atrocious for him. It's 520 OPS. The month of June was much better, but still mediocre, 705 OPS. The month of July, though, was pretty good, 812 OPS. Does this mean that he'll have a monster month of August? I don't, I don't know, uh, but I, I wouldn't bet against him. Um, let's see, 11 extra base hits this month or July. With four of those being home runs, he's still not hitting for average. It, also, it may be due to that low BABIP, um, but it's also true that he's just not really impacting the ball as hard as we'd like. Um, but things to keep in mind is that even in the in the, um, the the bad months, the walk rate is just elite. The K percentage uh, is is better than average. Uh, the Marlins have clearly been changing a few things in his swing. Alex, can you kind of talk a bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So there's a ton of mechanical changes to this guy. I mean, if you look at where he was to start the season, he's kind of hunched over the plate. Um, stance is kind of, you know, pretty straight away, but he's hunching over the plate. And, you know, he's, he's unable to get to those balls, especially inside, which is where, where he really struggled. He's getting to that inside pitch. Um, I saw a couple, you know, hitters counts, two, one, three, one counts where a guy would throw him inside and bust him inside. And it's a pitch that he should have been able to get to. And he just weakly fouls it off. And that's, I think, what is really, really fixed with this guy. You know, the mechanical adjustments, I'll talk about them. Um, the main one for me is how he's more upright in his stance. As I said, he was really stiff in that stance to start the season and to start his career as a whole. Now he's a lot more upright. Um, you know, he's using less of a front foot timing trigger. He kind of had like a mid high timing trigger or toe tap trigger, um, to start his career. Now it's a lot less pronounced for sure. Um, he's splitting his front leg out a little bit versus that straightaway stance that I talked about before. He splits his front leg out a little bit and steps towards the ball versus 
you know, that straightaway stance where you're just using your front foot to time the baseball. So I think that's really helped him. And then the hands, man, the hands are so much lower on the bat. This was a guy that would definitely choke up a ton on the knob. Now his hands are really low on the bat. He's also much more closed in his stance where his arms are a lot closer to his body, which is allowing him to get to those inside pitches a lot better. And the bat speed's always been there. So yeah, man, I, I think these mechanical adjustments, just in his setup, you know, he's always had the swing. He's always had the bat speed. He's always had the loft to his swing. He's always had some pretty good natural power. Always had great bat to ball skills. But I just think how he's setting his swing up in his, you know, your pre-pitch before the stance. Just look at where he was to start the year and look at where he is now with everything that I said, you know, with, with how he's setting up and approaching the baseball. I think that's really made the world a difference for JJ Leday. And it's a joy to see because this is a guy that a lot of people were down on after spring training that, you know, he came in and he just did okay, you know, in his first couple of games or first maybe handful of games, and then he just, just, just fell off. So yeah, just to see JJ getting that consistent contact and getting to those inside pitches, as I said, really big for him. I'm really excited for that kid. I was never out on him. I know you weren't ever out on him, Daniel. And, you know, we, we've said a million times, there's no reason to be worried about JJ Lede. And now you're seeing why. So um, a joy to see for sure. All right. So um, I had one to throw in on top of JJ. I was going to talk about him and I had, you know, everything that I have to say is in, was in the mechanics and Daniel covered the rest very well. <laughs> so we'll go to, uh, to my guy. Um, it's a pitcher. I'll go Will Stewart. Um, Daniel, here we are, you know, we're about two years removed from the Sixto Sanchez, um, JT Real Muto trade. And I'm talking about Will Stewart as being a performer over Sixto Sanchez and over Jorge Alfaro. So um, if you would have told us that back in February of 2019, that Will Stewart was going to be the guy we were talking about here in August, um, probably would have told you that you're insane, but you know, here we are. Um, <laughs> here's been the story for, for Will Stewart this season. Uh, really struggled out of the gate in May. Figured a lot of things out in June, it seemed, and he's really starting to find consistency in July. This past month, he made it into at least the fifth inning in four of his five starts. Um, he's a lefty art off-speed artist, and he showed his most consistent control and command of that lower half in the, of the zone this month. Uh, 33 ground ball outs in 26 innings, allowed 22 hits while working 10 uh, while walking 10 and striking out 20. We've talked about him many times, Daniel, how he is at his best when he's disabling loft with his four pitch arsenal, no pitch he will throw is above 92 miles an hour. So this is clearly a guy that's going to need to command that lower half of the zone to be effective. And when he's up, he's going to get hit. That's, that's just it. And I think that's what he's really, really finding here or found in the month of July is just that, that, that better knack to command that lower half of the zone. Um, I will say that he has one disturbing metric um, to him and I'll get to some good metrics, but he has one disturbing metric to him. He's hit 21 batters. So yeah, that's a problem. I mean, this is a guy who's going to want to bust guys in. He's going to want to bust guys in on the hands. He's going to want to induce that weak contact, but man, he's coming too far in way too often. He's hit 21 guys, as I said, which is tops in minor league baseball. I think the next closest guy to him has 14 and would be tops in major league baseball. If he were in major league baseball and they've played a lot more games than the minor leaguers so far. So yeah, I mean, that's something he clearly, clearly, clearly has to fix is, you know, coming too far inside the guys. But, you know, with the improvements that he's shown, I think we can not overlook it, but just say that, you know, it's something that he could probably fix, you know, just, just gaining a better feel for that inside corner. Um, I think he's gained a, a great feel for the middle and outside corners, um, especially since from where he started this year and from where he was um, with the hammerheads, especially in 2019 when, when he was awful. 
Um, so yeah, man, it's a guy that this month he's pushes ground ball rate up to 57.6%. That's 26 highest in all of minor league baseball. That's tops in the double a South. And that's, that's his bread and butter, man is, 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 you know, not the stuff he's not going to blow you away. He's not going to strike a ton of guys out really, but he's going to induce those ground balls and he's going to record his outs. And that's the guy that he needs to be. So, yeah. Um, it's been really refreshing to see him continue to make these strides here at the double A level after struggling, like I said, so mightily to start his career. Uh, clearly, again, like I said, made a ton of improvements. Um, even through that missed 2020 season, he has a really cool backstory to that too, where he worked in a hospital during the height of the pandemic. He said that really helped him out mentally and, you know, just improving and looking at his life and saying, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a major league baseball player and, you know, you know, I'm healthy and, and I'm able to, to contribute and do my job. So, I think that was another big, big thing for him. Um, so yeah, man, it, it's, it's a guy that, that, um, you know, he, he's not, it's, it's not going to be that star studded prospect. Maybe not ever a top 10, not, not, maybe not even a top 20, probably not, maybe not even a top 30, but a guy that if he can gain that consistent control and continue to do what he's doing right now, minus the hit, hits by pitch, I think it's a guy that could contribute as a back end starter. So I'm excited to see him do well. Agreed. Uh, and he's the number five in that rotation. So mm-hmm. imagine how good that rotation is. Yeah, definitely. Meyer, you know, McCambly, Nicola, like, yeah. I mean, it's like crazy. Mm-hmm. Anyways, <laughs> um, that's all I think we have, uh, Daniel, I believe for, for double A and we'll go up uh, to our last level. Um, the triple A level with uh, Jacksonville jumbo shrimp. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the merry-go-round of the minor yeah. league baseball ranks. Um, the Marlins continuously, continuously drawing from this Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp team for fresh arms to make one start and then sending them back down, calling them again, sending them back. Like it's, it's, I, I feel for those guys like, 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 like Mac or like uh, Braxton Garrett. And um, you know, uh, we saw, um, we see Nider. Yeah. Like the, you know, uh, Jordan Holloway is another one. Just, just feel for those guys, man. Cause they're going through it. And these are guys that I'll say it time and time again, these are guys that are finishing the polish on themselves. They really need the, that consistent routine, especially as a pitcher. So, I mean, I, I feel for those guys. They've been able to come up to the trip to the major league level and do pretty well. Uh, but man, it's, it's, just, it's just tough to see. Cause I wish we could see those guys gain consistent footing in the major league level, especially for a down and out Marlins team. That's another conversation for another day. Um, then you have other guys that we could get to that are getting sent down like, like Brian Miller <laughs> while some guys in this organization are still here. But anyways, that, that's a conversation for another day. We want to focus on what we focus on. Um, Daniel, um, you know, we're going to talk about two rule five guys. Um, you're going to talk about Joe Dunand and I'm going to talk about Bryson Brigman. And, you know, I guess it kind of goes hand in hand. I said, we were going to move on, but maybe I lied. <laughs> I guess it goes hand in hand with what I just mentioned that you want to see these guys, these, these fringe major league guys at the major league level, especially those that are still exposed as of right now to the rule five draft with Bryson Brigman and Joe Dunan. So I guess I'll, 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 um, I'll, I'll segue into our guys with this question. When do you think we see, and I know this is a hot topic on Twitter. When do you think we see Bryson Brigman and Joe Dunan at the major league level? And do we protect them from the rule five? I think we definitely will if they don't get called up. But do you think that we see them at the major league level this year? Either one? Yes. Yeah, I think I think they end up calling them in, in, in September. Mm-hmm. There's there's definitely spots, you know, that that we can use there. Mm-hmm. Um guys we can remove from that from that forty man list. Um doesn't mean that we're gonna keep them. Maybe they could be right. I don't know, maybe if if, if ownership or 
front office doesn't really love them. They can trade them before the the Rule Five draft, but I don't think they'll just let him go unprotected because, especially Brigman, I think would would, would get chosen. Uh, I'm not sure if Dunant um, yet, but but Brigman, he's a guy who can play any infield position. Uh, he's a guy who looks to be ready to 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 play. He wasn't one year when he was also a real five eleven one year ago when he was also, but now he is. Um, you can plug him in at second, at third, at short, um, at first if you want as well. Yep. So absolutely, he he's he's a candidate to be to be taking in the taken in the real five draft. So I don't think the Marlins will just let him go uh, right. quick and easy like that. I think they will call him up and see what they have in September, um, especially with the with the rosters expanding. Mm-hmm. But um, so yeah, to answer your question, I think I, I I believe so. I mean, I guess it's just pretty tough because there's I mean maybe earlier in the season when a guy got hurt and everybody was calling for Brigman. I, I would say even before the trade deadline, we could probably excuse it. Whereas you didn't want to have to DFA a Brigman. You know, the, the roster was what it was. You know, and the forty man roster was full, and you didn't want to have to call him up for two games and then DFA him. But now that the deadline has happened and, and pieces have moved on, and there's room on that forty man roster, I, I would argue that there has been room on the forty man roster all along. But mm-hmm. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say. You know, before the deadline, okay, I can kind of see it. But, you know, now that we're at where we're at, you could call a Brigman up and send him back by optioning him and not have to, you know, DFA him and, and wave him off the 40-man and expose him to waivers. So I, I, I really think that we should have seen him before now. Um, honestly, I would have probably said, you know, when, when Jazz went down, the last time that he went down, I think he was sick. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously that was only one game, but that would have been a spot. Um, you know, it, it's, just, it's just tough to see those guys not get an opportunity after how they're performing. But anyways, exactly. I'm rambling on. Um, <laughs> but really quickly there, I, I do see Brigman as a future utility guy. Yeah. So, and he is 26. So, right. I mean, I think it's fine to just call him up and leave him there. I exactly. Mean, uh, if he were a 21 year old or a 22 year old, fine. <laughs> leave him in AAA. Yeah. Don't take it bats away. But I, mm-hmm. I think this is what he is. I think he's, he's a utility player. Yeah. So just call him up and, and, and plug him in instead of yeah. freaking Joe panic. Yeah. Um, I absolutely believe that just, I think this is what he is. So, so call him up and see what you have and then a utility guy. Cause he's yep. also a great fielder. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he's ready. Dune and I think it's fine with him. Let him keep getting those at bats. He missed a lot of the season, mm-hmm. but Brigman is ready, man. I mean, I don't know why he's, why he's still in triple. You and me both play four spots, plays them all. Well, you know, good contact. I'll get to him. Anyways, go ahead. I'll let you go with, with Dune and first. These are going to be our two guys. And then I'll, I'll talk a little bit more on Brigman before we go. <laughs> Yeah, sure. So, so Dunant, um, he has been doing so well uh, since since the Dominic, Dominican Winter League. Um, he did well there. Then he did well with the Marlins in spring training. He really, really impressed. Uh, but then, unfortunately, he got hurt. You know, he, he got hurt to, to begin the season. Um, he came back in early July and, again, did very well. He has an 870 OPS with five home runs uh, in the month of July. Uh, 17 RBI. I mean, as you mentioned, this guy along with, with Bryson Brigman deserves, I mean, they, they deserve a shot. Um, so uh, there was clearly a change in, in, in Dunan's swing approach, whatever you want to call it, but he's been very good for, for almost a year now. So I'm really starting to believe that um, there's still a lot to work on. That K rate is still a bit high, but um, he's progressing. And, um, and yeah, I'm ready to see what he can, he can provide at the bigger, biggest level. Yeah, definitely agree. I definitely want to see him 
potentially before, you know, the, um, the season ends and that would just, you know, take the rule five out of their heads. You know, even if he's on the roster for a day, you know, <laughs> you could just option him back um, and just protect, protect him from that rule five drafts. Um, I think they would protect him from the MLB portion either way. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I, th- I think we're going to be fine on, on retaining Joe Dunan, but um, I would like to see what he can do, um, especially in this, this season now that pretty much doesn't matter for the Marlins. Let him get a shot, man. Same with, same with Brigman. I, I would like to see them both get a shot, but um, I'll get to my last guy and I'll just mention a little bit more on him. We already talked about him a little bit earlier. Um, I know this is a hot name on Twitter about why is he not here? And we, me and Daniel both definitely agree as you guys heard, but uh, just to mention, uh, call it a couple of his numbers here. This is going to be my guy for AAA. Uh, for a second straight month, he has hits over 340. He ended July on a nine game on base streak. He played in 27 of 28 games in the month, had hits in 19 of them. I mean, honestly, I can keep calling out stats, but but what more can I say that hasn't already been said, Daniel? This is a guy who's just a steady producer, doesn't waste his chances, barely strikes out, approaches simple, four average bat. Um, he'll also find a gap here and there. Solid hands on the infield. As we already mentioned, he plays four spots, holds down shortstop fine can play second base, can play shortstop, basically wherever you need him. So yeah, man, at 26, like you said, Daniel, this is a utility guy that, that I would really, really love to see get his shot. You know, especially when you have guys like, like Joe Panic, as you mentioned, still sticking around on the roster. This is a guy who's performing in AAA and, and, and definitely, definitely deserves that shot. So he's just, I'll just call it a couple more numbers. Um, just to drive the point home, I guess he's sixth in AAA and batting average at 325. He's 23rd in OBP. He's 31st in WRC plus at 129. Can't possibly do much more to earn this call to the big leagues, bro. He was drafted by the old regime. I mentioned this before on a couple other guys. This new front office isn't too connected to deeper down prospects. Maybe that's why we haven't seen him before now. But man, before the season is over, I, I definitely see Brigman making it up to the majors because you just can't hold this guy down any longer. Yeah, and keep in mind that those numbers, those ranks um, in, in all of AAA, half of AAA play in, in hitter havens. Exactly. You know, I mean, he doesn't. He's not in a hitter haven. No, so not at all. He's, he's doing this. Um, I mean, it, it's really good. He plays, again, shortstop second and third, and he has three errors in total um, in – what this is 500 plus innings yep so i mean obviously errors isn't everything but it gives you a good idea of what he provides 10 stolen bases um i mean even the power he only has four home runs he's not going to give you 20 home runs but he has a 467 slugging which is it's is pretty good five triples 13 doubles he does have the gap power um, so again, what are we doing with, with Joe panic there? And, and these, like, try the kid out, see what you have. Because Joe panic isn't going to be in our roster in 2022. So yeah. what, you know, what are we doing? Uh, so that's why I do think that, that they will bring him up, bring him up. I don't know when, uh, maybe he's just, um, hesitating and releasing, uh, Joe panic, but, but it's time. Guy plays hard too, is the last thing I'll say. I've seen him turn many, many would be singles into doubles just by getting out of the box quick and, and good speed. So. Man, a hard player. Um, it's tough. He's been here for a while. So it's another guy like like Miller that I talk about all the time that's been here for a long time that I really would like to see get a chance after grinding for so long. So we'll see what they do with him. Uh, hopefully he makes it up by the end of the season because it would be a shame if he didn't. All right. So that I think will do it, Daniel. Kind of a marathon, but we got a lot of great stuff in there. A lot of great stuff from you. A lot of great questions. Thanks, guys, for sending those in. We're so glad to be back with you guys. We were out for a little while because of stuff going on behind the scenes, but so glad to be back podcasting, man. I, me and Daniel always have so much fun doing these, talking to each other, talking to you guys. 
uh, bringing you into the episode with your questions, man, it's, it's always a great time. So thanks as always guys for, for joining in, for giving us the time for, for listening to the show. We appreciate everything. All the support is, is fantastic. We're going to try to get back on schedule here for, uh, for a weekly or at least bi-weekly basis here um, as the minor league season rounds out and uh, these, these lower levels get, uh, get started and, and playing further into their seasons. We definitely want to, we definitely plan on it. So keep sending in your questions. Uh, we'll keep bringing you everything that we know. Thanks again for the time, guys. That's going to do it. And we'll see you guys next time on Swimming Upstream.